This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 320. Hello, hello everybody. I am excited for another show. I'm a little sad because right after we record the show, pretty much, you are going to be leaving me alone with three children. All my kids behind. (laughs) That's not bad enough, but you're also going to PAX Unplugged and I'm not. Dude, you left me with all of the children and went to germany for a week uh that's i guess that's true anyway (laughs) hello everybody we are the family gamers as always i'm your host andrew and i am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife anitra that's me and i will miss you when i'm at back oh well probably not as much as i'll miss you (laughs) that part's probably true all right well i have a fact for our uh our show number this week 320 okay this week on the show i want to talk about a different family so not the family gamers? Not the family gamers, at least not for our fact. This is the family of the A320. The What's A that? stands for Airbus. Oh, so an airplane. Yes. The A320 is the most popular aircraft family in the world. What do you think about that? I'm kind of wondering what makes it a family like. Well, let me tell you. Manufactured by Airbus, the A320 family are commercial passenger twin-engine jet airliners that can accommodate up to 236 passengers. The family comprises the A318, 319, 320, and 321, along with the ACJ business jet. After the introduction of the A320neo, which stands for a new engine option, the A320 became known as the A320CO, current engine option. (laughs) All right. The most widely spread aircraft family in the world. Listen to this. As of when this thing was written, which was actually a couple of years ago, an A320 takes off or lands every 1.6 seconds. Wow, that's that's a lot of airplanes. Yeah. The A318 is the smallest member of the family. It can carry up to 132 passengers. However, it is the largest commercial airplane certified by the European Aviation Safety Agency for steep approach operations, which allows the plane to take and land at airports such as London City. I was going to say that that allows for small airports or airports in crowded areas, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's a bunch of differences between all the different kinds. I'm not really going to get into that stuff, but that's it. That's my fact for this week. The Airbus A320. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. There you go. And now it's time for a message from our sponsor. Not to be outdone by the Airbus A320 series. Did you know that according to a recent poll sponsored by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, only 18% of Americans feel very confident about their retirement. That doesn't actually surprise me. So if you aren't sure about retirement, you're not alone. If you want to talk to a professional to see if you're on track to achieve your goals, go to firstmovefinancial.com familygamers and schedule a quick phone call to see if First Move is the right fit for you. All right, thanks so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. This week on the Family Gamers Podcast, we're going to talk another Room to Grow series. I think we're going to cover a couple of different Room to Grows through the end of the year. This week, we're going to talk about legacy games. What is a legacy game? What is not a legacy game? And three games to really kind of get you going on legacy games full bore. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Sure. Where do you want to start? There's a lot here. There is a lot on this list. Yeah. I guess we'll start with what we did today. Sure, right. let's do that. So this morning we played a game called Mada. This is a game from Helvetic. I met the folks at Helvetic at Essen, and this was a game that they gave us to take home and review. And my early thoughts on this game are not great. I really <laughs> think it's because we played it at two players, though. It seems like one of those games that, while playable at two players, is definitely better at more. It's one of those games that has a lot of luck involved and a little bit of skill. So especially when when you're in a two-player situation and it can get unbalanced, it stays unbalanced for a long time. So it wasn't so much the amount of luck that bugged me. It was that there are no decisions to make until like the very end of each round. And then it starts to get tactical about whether or not you're going to play a card or draw a card or there's a couple different kind of hedging things that you can do, right? So 
in this game, you have a hand that is capped at three cards. So you can either play a card, draw a card. I guess that's it. Or, um, or uh, take you your know, chances. Take your chances yeah. and just flip one off the top of the deck. And you're playing into your own personal kind of tableau pile. And you either have to stay at the same number or go up. So you can never play a lower number than what is out. Right. You are literally not allowed to play a lower number. Um, so if all you have in your hand is lower numbers, then you must take a chance, flip one out from the deck that would go directly onto your pile. And if it is not equal to or higher, uh, then the round ends and you are the loser for that round. You do not get to score anything. There's a couple of special cards. There's the Scorpion, which forces you to discard a card. There's the Lemur, which takes your highest card on your pile and puts it on the bottom. And then there's the Double Lemur, which Let's allows you, trade you a pile slash causes you to trade your pile with your opponent yeah. or some opponent if you have more than two people playing. But yeah, so like pretty much in this game, you're always going to want to draw if you have less than three cards because you want to maximize your choices. And until you get up near 10-ish, because the cards go to 13, you're kind of pretty much just trying to delay the inevitable, which is the growth of your hand. I mean, the goal is definitely always to be able to keep playing cards. And you should make choices that allow you to do that. I think there are more choices available to you than you're really seeing. But I I think this is also going to become clearer on further plays. Well... The only card that actually allows you to interact with your opponent is the double lemur. Yeah, so I don't love that. That's why it doesn't, like, even if you have the perfect card to play down, there's no harm in waiting. So you might as well just draw up. You know what I mean? But I've also been in situations, even in our one quick game, where I did have a nice low card in front of me and then my hand was full of high cards. So then it's like, well, I might as well just take a risk because it's probably higher than what's down there and probably lower than what's in my hand. Yeah, but like that... I mean, I guess that's the only question that you have or the only decision that you can make, you know, during that phase of the game, which is low tableau kind of thing. Like, yeah, there's just not quite enough there for me until you get to the end and it becomes this really interesting chess match of who's going to be forced to go out first, right? Like that part I like and that part I'm into. And so I really think that um, this one is going to need more players to shine. Yeah, I'm keeping in mind that it feels like this is just supposed to be a very simple game, much like Papageno, which we also got from Helvetic, which but is that way one better. we bought. It's a much better game, I think. But it is also a very simple game where, looking on the outside of it, your choices don't matter a whole lot. But it feels like they do, and so you you enjoy playing it, I think. So, yeah, we'll play that one some more and see what we think. On the other hand, we also learned this week how to play Fox in the Forest Duet, which yeah. we picked up a couple a couple months ago now, so, I guess. So this is something I think Suze had recommended to us when we had her on the show. And uh, yeah, we, so we picked it up when we were at the store, and it just kind of sat on the shelf until I was like, you know what, we should probably play this game that we have. Yeah. Like, you know, get two something player, off the shelf of opportunity. Two-player cooperative trick-taking. Yeah, this is a really interesting game. So in Fox the Forest Duet, you have these tokens that follow along this path that's on your board, and it's just kind of a path that goes from basically your side to, you know, your co-conspirator side or whatever, your friend, your partner, or whatever. And so you start in the middle on this path that has these tiles on it, and basically what you're trying to do is you play tricks back and forth, and some of the cards have little paw icons up near the number. For movement, yeah. For movement. Whoever wins the trick moves the number of paws on both cards, moves the token, like the the primary movement token, towards them. So there's other like special cards that kind of change certain things. Like you can ignore one of the cards movement or, you know, you I mean, can move all that it stuff. It seems pretty typical or, for, yeah, 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 for a trick taking game with some interest to it. Yeah. And so the goal of the game is to eliminate all of the tokens on the board before you run out of these like, I don't know, risk tokens or whatever you want to call them. I think them. they I call them forest tokens. Yeah, they cover whatever. up spaces on the board, either if you run off the end or if you finish around and haven't cleared all the tokens. Uh, and then, so this is a three-round game, and your goal is to get all of the tokens off by the end of three rounds and or before 
you run out of forest tokens because right. if you are not in sync with your partner and you run your fox off the board, you lose a forest token. Yeah. And that's pretty much the game. So, like, some of these spaces, you can stack the tokens that you're trying to remove. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can end up with a pretty good number of these tokens on the board. But really, I think, you know, if you're in sync with your partner and you're not horribly unlucky with your cards, this is something that should be able to be done. I mean, we did it on our first try. Maybe it was beginner's luck, but I don't know. I think it depends a lot on the luck of the draw and also on being in sync with your other player. Uh, I think you're right on that. This definitely seems like the kind of game where, at least for you and me, we would probably win more often than we lose, but I would expect that we would lose sometimes. Sure. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, you and I tend to be pretty in sync on this stuff, so usually, yeah. it's not that much of a surprise. But that was Fox and the Force duet. That was really fun. And I mean, the cards are super, super pretty. I really yeah, like the it's art very on pretty. That. Yep. Just like Jekyll versus Hyde, it is a trick-taking game with only three suits. Mm-hmm. I got to play some Framework. Uh, this is almost two weeks ago now, uh, before Dave's review of it went live. Mm-hmm. Mostly just because I needed to take pictures of it for the review. But I'm super glad I did. If you have not checked out Dave's review, I highly recommend that you at least go skim it. We will link to it in the show notes. One thing he does not make a big deal out of, and I would if I had written the review, is just how fast this game is to get started. Literally for a two-player game, I pulled three tiles out of the bag. I gave myself uh, one little baggie of tokens and my opponent one little baggie of tokens, and we were playing. Because it is just about drafting tiles from the ones that have gotten pulled out of the bag this round and adding them to your tableau grid thing. And as you're adding them to the grid, you're trying to fulfill goals. And every tile has zero to three goals printed on it and zero to three frames printed on it. So it's this whole combination of do I want to take more goals that I might be able to fulfill, but maybe those don't have any frames on them and I'm going to block myself off? Or do I want to take these ones over here with more frames, but maybe they're not frames that are really going to help me right now? Very simple to understand, very challenging to play well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Asher totally loved it. Right, when he played as well. Like he, he I guess he didn't really want to like it at the beginning, he but he complained. Fell for it. Yeah. And I was like, Look, I'm just trying to learn the game. And by five minutes in, I was like, Oh look, we are five rounds in. We are playing this game. This is not just we've learned it, we are playing the game fully. So it was fun. I've also been playing some more winter from Devere. That is How, a, who are you playing that with? Are you playing with Asher? With Claire. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I like this game. I am liking this a lot. The only reason I don't want to review it right away is because of the theme. I feel like maybe January would be a better time. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, really love that this is an abstract game where the theme still feels applicable to me. It is simple. All the things I like in an abstract game, but this whole idea of thawing and refreezing is fantastic. It's really cool and it's really well done, right? Yeah. It really feels kind of organic to the game. Mm-hmm. So I like it a lot. I'm a big fan. Are right, we going to keep moving on? We're going to keep moving All on. All right. More Kabuto Sumo. More Kabuto Sumo. We have not started playing with the expansion yet. I think I'm going to break into that this weekend. But I think boys. we're, yeah, I think we're pretty solid on the base game at this point. My only complaint about the base game is that if you've got fairly evenly matched players, it can really take a long time because you do a lot of pushing back and forth. Yeah, I think that came into the thought process around the development of the expansion. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. Yep. One of the things I really like about this game is that all of the different kinds of beetles have their own kind of like special power. So if you find one that just works for you, you can use that, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best one. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So I like that a lot. I really like having both the junior mode and the uh, regular mode, I guess you would call it, for each beetle type. Mm-hmm. Because the junior mode is definitely the best way to get started. Like, you're not worrying about special powers. It's just that, hey, I have these starting pieces and this one is my special piece if it ever gets knocked off. It goes back to me instead of to anybody else. Right. And then 
you know, the regular mode has all these special powers and like you earn your special piece by doing some specific thing or you can spend tokens to do something else depending on what your power is. Those get interesting, but it's definitely harder to understand right away. Right. Sure. Next on the list is Sobek. This is another two-player game that we played from Pandasaurus. This is something we've had for a little bit. I've played it a couple of times before you and I played together, but we finally got it to the table, just you and me. What did you think of this one? It was fine. (laughs) Based on all of the other games we've been talking about, even already tonight, there was just way too much going on. In this game? In in Sobek, yeah. It wasn't a hard game to understand. Like, it wasn't deep or heavy or anything. But there was just a lot of pieces and a lot of stuff going on and more stuff to keep track of than I really wanted to. And then lots of pieces that we had to keep picking up and moving around. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those that falls into that classic, the juice probably isn't worth the squeeze kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, the game's fine. It's fun. The set collection is kind of cool on it. I find the guys on the end are ultimately forgettable, the ones that you're supposed to pick up when you put down a set of cards, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, They're very forgettable. The the powers, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those games that you have to, like, play 20 times to really kind of grok the deep level strategy that makes the game so much more. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those. I agree. So, I I mean, I just think that, like, it's a fine game. It looks nice. It's not a game you can take anywhere, really, because there's so many pieces, which is a real problem, I think, for a two-player game. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. You yeah. can't take. I can't take this game to Starbucks or something like that. I mean, I could, but I'd be taking up one of the huge tables for two people. You know, it, it's. I don't know. I don't know. So it's a fine game. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fun to play, but I just in the market that we're in right now, this one's not really a winner for us. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. Mm-hmm. Now the next game, which I think we talked about this last week on the show briefly. Yes. But uh, we've been playing on tour and we talked about on tour Paris, but let's talk about regular on tour this week. Yes. So let's talk about on tour. So I don't think I had mentioned before that I had played the on tour app and I was not impressed. I was like, okay, it's fine. Whatever. Playing it in person was an entirely different animal. See, and I say that sometimes about games on BGA and you're all like, eh, I don't know about that. I have really enjoyed playing on tour with you and with other people. And I think maybe some of it is the like groans when a number comes up that nobody likes. (laughs) You actually feel the mutual distaste for whatever was rolled. Yes, exactly. Or for the cards that are pulled, be like, nope, no, 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 central please, no, 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 no. no. I could take south, I could take central, east, and west, and north. Do not work for me right now. Mm. Yeah, that that whole thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, this is one of those games where it's you know side by side solitaire. Uh, and whoever mm-hmm. can do it better is the is the winner, but that's okay sometimes. I mean, I generally don't care for those kinds of games, but I really do like the puzzle in Ontor. Like, it works for me. I said that last week. Like, it's just, it it is a viscerally pleasing puzzle experience to me, so I like it. I always come out of the games feeling vaguely dissatisfied. Like, mentally wrung out. <laughs> well, I just like, ugh, I should have done better. But mm-hmm. not really able to identify, like, where I went wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, here's what I'll say about this. Like, what is the support? Six or eight out of the box, which is great. Yeah. But, like, these boxes are freaking heavy. They like, are? You could, you could hold the door open. I'll be nice. You could hold the door yes. open with one yes, of these boxes. Could. They are very heavy. I mean, that's not really a problem, I guess. It's just heads up. But, I mean, it really tells you, like, the boards are nice and thick. Like, you don't even really need to be sitting you know at a table to play a game like this is a game you could play in the car you know what i mean like you definitely you know somebody rolls and they announce the numbers you know obviously the driver can't play come on it'd be it'd be a little bit hard because you do really want to see the cards that are pulled out because Uh, it's not just about the regions it's about the specific cities in the regions but you could still probably play it in a car or on a train or heck in a bunch of bleachers if you're waiting for a kid's softball game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you don't need a central table for everything, right? Other right. than like just the cards and somewhere to roll. You need you need enough room dice. for three admittedly very large cards uh, and two ten-sided dice. All right, so that's on tour and on tour Paris. I really am enjoying those games. I'm liking them a lot. So if anyone saw us on the full 42, the live stream video podcast 
I, I guess is what you would call that. Yeah, it was two weeks ago the day this podcast comes out. Yeah. If anybody saw us on that, um, we played a game called Colorful. Um, we were very bad. You and I were not necessarily bad. We were well in sync with each other, but we weren't necessarily in sync with everybody else. So we did very, very poorly in that game. It's a very interesting concept to me, though. I think I like it better than some of the other guessing games I've seen, especially guessing games that involve colors. Uh, Sure. I mean, like Pantone was not that like invigorating to me as right. a color-based game. Hues and Cues I thought was fine. This is different but similar to that in some ways. Yeah, but you are explicitly limited in your choices. Various people within the group are assigned categories and then they have to pick something in the category that is a color that everyone should have in their hand out of it's about a dozen colors, I think. And as you kind of go into the further part of a round, you realize that if somebody didn't agree, then maybe now they don't have the color they need that you're trying to clue them in on. So I liked that part of it, the sort of diminishing pool. I didn't like how sometimes we could figure out two turns into a five-turn round that somebody had messed up and why continue, but we did anyway. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I think a lot of that was purely because we were having a good kind of social experience. We did anyway, have a good time right? with it. So, yeah, it was fun. But, yeah, that was colorful. It was, uh, it, was, it was a fun game. Next on the list, another game that we've talked about a little bit. Oh, My Brain. This is from 25th Century Games. Very cool box. Like, that's the first oh, thing that so a lot of cool. people notice about the game. It's just kind of a, a neat box that the game is in. This is a pretty simple game actually it's very similar in some ways to mata right except you're playing into a common stack of cards um yes and there are more things that you can do to um increase your chances of being able to play like playing doubles to play a larger number right yeah yeah. there's a bunch of different things there's also a die that can be used if you play a card that has a die icon you can roll that and you might be mm. able to you know steal brains from your opponent or you might lose a brain or you might get a brain or whatever and the and the goal of that game is to do the whole win the trick not really tricks i don't know win the pile i guess not lose the pile i guess not lose it's really not lose the pile and ultimately just be the last person to have brains yep. although i guess uh the game ends we've played it mostly at two players the game ends when one person runs out of brains and then whoever has the most brains still wins I think that is a great way to draw the line with a game that really is player elimination, but it's as soon as your first player is eliminated, stop and count this other stuff that you have as points. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's a really easy, straightforward game. It's very silly. You know, the it's art very is silly. funny, which I kind of appreciate. So that is Oh My Brain. I mean, we got it like two days before Halloween or something like that. So, you know, we were kind of past the Halloween themed games <laughs> at that point, unfortunately, but uh, it's still a fun game to play. Speaking of fun games, we have played some more of Suspects. Claire Harper takes the stage. So these are fun, but so, so here's so what I'm going to say about this. And I haven't said this to you yet, but I'm going to say it now. The more I play these, the more I think that I would be willing to buy the next one. Because I definitely feel like I'm kind of understanding a little bit better the way that this works. And I definitely think that mechanically with the whole playing out all of the cards thing, that's a much more pleasing way to play the game, which I yeah. like a lot. And even though, you know, the first one we played, it was two college-educated couples, and we mostly sucked it up. This time, it was you and I and our kids and we actually did a pretty good job. We did a pretty good job. And we enjoyed doing it all. It is awfully long to be a family game. I mean, I feel like we had good spirited conversation. Maybe that's because we're a board game family, you know, air quote board game family. Yeah. And so it was okay. I mean, it, it can get a little bit long in the tooth. But like we said last time, you know, if kids can kind of come in and come out and like participate and then, you know, go off and kind of do their own thing, which is totally fine in this game because yes. everything is a cooperative decision. Like there are cooperative and, games where it's problematic for people to enter yeah. and leave. This is not that at all. Well, and once you have uncovered information, it is open and available for the rest of the game. Yes. Which is important. Yeah. But I mean, if someone's not there and then they come back to make decisions, you know, it's going to be a little bit hard for them to 
take in all of the information that's oh, on the sure. table when there's like 50 cards out. But, oh, sure. you know, but when they can say something and be like, well, somebody had said something about, you know, whatchamacallit. I don't remember what and, it was. Let's go see if we can find yeah. who it was. Yeah. But it also might be interesting if someone is in at the beginning and then they leave for a little bit and they come back and then you're wrestling with something at the table and they remember something way from the beginning because they didn't have all mm-hmm. the stuff in the middle cluttering mm-hmm. their minds. That could actually be helpful. So, and, and that's the kind of stuff that this game really kind of plays into is abstracting all these clues out so you have to be really smart when you put them together what i'm seeing here is that this really fits more like a a murder mystery dinner than sure yeah yeah, that's that's totally than the other kind of mystery game type things that we have played in the past Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this is probably best suited for like 12 plus 13 plus yes but but even though somebody died in both of the ones that we played, there was nothing in it that was graphic or inappropriate or whatever. Like there, there was nothing that I would be concerned about my eight-year-old saying. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you are okay with talking about like, hey, this is a murder mystery. Once you get past that first hump of like, yes, somebody has been murdered and we can in fact examine the body, but not in great detail. If you're okay with that, then you're fine. Yeah, but like at least with the two that we did, there was nothing gory. There were there wasn't even a picture of a dead body. Like I think you saw a shoe, like or a foot. We or saw something like that. feet or yeah. something like that. Uh, yeah. There's, I, I mean, there might be some kind of love triangle thing in the third one. I have no idea. We haven't gotten to it we yet. Tried it. Yet. We probably will do that one after we release the review of this game. But you know, we'll see. That's where I'm at right now. All right. But I am impressed at how well our family did. And I think that's a testament to the game just as much as it's a testament to our family. All right. Fair. Three more quick ones. I have played even more Santorini. It is my most played game this year, even though we did not own it until June. That's so funny. (laughs) I mean, you know, speaking of things that are a testament to a game, it's a testament to how easy that game is to get started, to play, you know, tear down, et cetera. I mean, probably half of my plays are before we owned it, um, when we kept getting it out of the library. Sure. Which was the reason why we just caved and bought it. Yes. Yes. However, we also are getting it a little bit more on that family 10 by 10, and I have gotten the kids to play some King Domino with me, and also some Unmatched. I got my butt kicked by Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, to no one's surprise. And having a good time with those, I just wish we could get them to the table more often. Yeah. I mean, it's just life, right? Yep. That, that's that's kind of where we're at. All right. Well, we're getting that family 10 by 10. We're still working on it. We'll have updates. I will try to work on it in your absence. We, we need to average more than one game a day from that <sighs> list. I, I, it's not going to happen, honey. I appreciate it, but it's not going to happen. I will keep the faith. Come on, everybody. Keep the faith with me. Okay. Yeah, I'm not promising anything. I'm thinking like maybe seven by 10. (laughs) Maybe. We might be able to do something like that. Anyway, it is, when everyone hears this, the first Monday in December, which means it is time for the monthly report. The monthly report. Dun, dun, dun. I am sad to say that uh, October was, in fact, an official outlier for me in that I was successful in reaching my one play a day goal. How many plays did you have in November? 24. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I fell six short. So I was 20%. I got 80% of the way there. That's how the math works on that. Let's see. I had an H index of two. Draftosaurus and Suspects were my two. Um, I played games twice as many times as you in the I month of November. I played 100% of my games at home. I mean... I played 96% of my games at home, and that's only because I tracked our game of Colorful as being online. I also tracked uh, our games of Colorful, even though I think we technically played five games. I said we only played two games. Yeah. I just kind of was like, eh, I don't know. I want to acknowledge that I played it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games that I played more than once. They were Draftosaurus at three times, Suspects twice, Colorful, Green Team wins, Kabuto Sumo all twice. Okay. And then a bunch of stuff I played once. So I played games 49 times. Uh, we might call that 48 because we played a like double Draftosaurus and I think I I logged it as two games, not a you know summer-winter combo. But within that, I have an H index of three. And my top three games all got played more than three times each. 
which are Kabuto Sumo, Draftosaurus, and Mickey's Christmas Carol. So we haven't even really talked about Mickey's Christmas Carol, but we are going to include it as the snap review in the break, so I will not ruin it for you. Other than to say, the only complaint I have about this game at all is that the bag for the tiles is a little bit too small, and it's not because my hands are big, it's because the bag is just a little bit too small to effectively mix up the tiles. And that's fine. You can mix up the tiles as you're putting them in. Hmm? <clears throat> Anitra, I have late breaking news. Yes? I discovered that my board game arena was not syncing correctly. I have corrected it, and now I have 30 plays in 30 days. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> so for anybody who is wondering what I added, I played a bit of Obsession. Actually, I played one game of Obsession. This mm -hmm. is the, I don't know, Downton Abbey, the game that Derek <laughs> Bruff had downstairs. mentioned. Yeah. yeah. This is an interesting game, is what I'm going to say. I would totally play it again. There is a lot going on. I did not read the rules before I played, but I did not come in last place. Okay. So that's what I'm going to say about that. I think I also played some like Ticket to Ride and Wingspan. Yeah, that pretty much covers everything because uh, I'm playing that with you and with Staff Writer Nick. So I, I did it. I made it 30 plays in 30 days. What a relief. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go to our review of Mickey's Christmas Carol game, Aww. let's welcome our newest members to the community. Sounds great. If you haven't gone to the community, you can head to the community by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or heading to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community. There is an adorable, what is that thing? That's a macaw. It's a white. A, some kind of parrot-like. Parrot-like thing. Anyway, that is saying, well, hello to Mike. And Sarah. And Kathy. Courtney, B, Cole, and Jeremy. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome. welcome to the community. If you haven't welcomed people, please head over there and do that. I also opened up one of those community chat things, which is, I guess, Facebook's way of combating Discord. I don't even know what it is. But you're always More welcome to join that chat as well. There's been a lot of really great recommendations in there, too. So love the community. Love seeing people chat in the community, whether I'm involved or not. And, oh, there's even a picture of us playing suspects. You can see all those cards that we were talking about mm -hmm. in the Family Gamers community. Mm -hmm. So welcome. And uh, if you didn't say hello, please head over there and say hello. And with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Room to Grow Legacy Games. Dickens' A Christmas Carol is a timeless classic, although it's been adapted many, many times. Even Disney did it with their Mickey's Christmas Carol in 1984. That's true. It's also short, so this version is a good introduction to the story for kids. And so is this game. This is a snap review for Disney Mickey's Christmas Carol game. Mickey's Christmas Carol is for one of four players, age four and up, and published by Funko Games. In this game, players cooperate to complete puzzles that tell the story of A Christmas Carol in order before Scrooge wakes up. In order. So, Mom, let's talk about the art in this game. When I opened the box, this game immediately looked classic to me, like the simple puzzles my kids used to do when they were younger. The puzzle frames are really well constructed, like this one. I love how you can see a shadowy version of the picture when the puzzle's not complete. Every tile has a partial border on the front and a colored back. Both of these match the frame, so it's easy to tell which puzzle it goes to. Everything in this game is sturdy and ready for young kids to play with. And of course, all six puzzles show scenes from the Mickey's Christmas Carol. Hey mom, let's talk about the mechanics. All right, here's how to play the game. Choose four puzzles out of the six in the box and put all the puzzle pieces for those in the bag along with the brown special tiles. Put Scrooge on 9 o'clock on the central clock board, showing that he's asleep. Lay the puzzles out in numerical order, either around the clock or in a row. The youngest player goes first. On your turn, pull tiles out of the bag one at a time. You may pull up to five tiles and then choose two to add to the puzzles. Unless you pull a special tile. 
Elliot, what makes the special tiles different? The special tiles are brown. They camp out in the bag, and they're really bad, all of them. Well, except for one of them. Most of them make you stop drawing tiles, play all of the tiles that you pulled this turn, whether they're good for you or not, and move Scrooge one space clockwise, moving forward towards 8 a.m. But this tile right here lets you ignore all other special tiles. It's the one good special tile you can get. If you draw that one, you just keep drawing until you have five puzzle tiles, and then choose two to play. When you complete a puzzle, Scrooge will also move. He moves one space backward, counterclockwise, if all the earlier puzzles are complete. But if you completed this puzzle out of order, Scrooge moves forward as many spaces as the number that's printed on the top of the puzzle. No. With a number like four or five, you risk waking him up early. The game ends when either all the puzzles are completed, yay! yay, or if Scrooge reaches eight on the clock, symbolizing morning. He woke you up. He woke up. Boo! And that's it. That's how you play. Hey, what are the expectations? Well, Funko seems to do a really great job on games for little kids to play with the adults in their lives. We've reviewed their Mad Tea Party, and it's a small world. I hope this would be similar, a simple game without being boring. I got a little worried when I first opened the box and saw the puzzles, that this would be like the cheaper cardboard puzzles I've seen, the kind that barely fit together and have to be positioned just right and eventually fall apart. So that leads us into our surprises. We already mentioned that the puzzles are actually nice and sturdy. I didn't notice this nice backing on them until I took them apart for the first time. The simplicity of the game really draws me in. Although my kids are already a little old for the intended age range. Elliot here is eight. Yeah. But we're still enjoying playing it together or even playing it solo. My favorite part was the puzzles because I think they're all like really fun to put together because I'm a puzzle person. The analog clock really fits the theme. But since analog clocks aren't really common anymore, many kids will struggle with this idea. I don't think it's a bad thing. It offers a low-stress way to reinforce clock reading skills with your kids. It also led Elliot and I to a discussion of AM and PM, because the clock starts at 9 PM and ends at 8 AM. The clock also kind of works as a scoreboard. The closer you are to 9 o'clock when you finish the game, the better off you've done. That leads us into our recommendations. I think we would recommend Mickey's Christmas Carol game for families with younger kids. Or even for grandparents. It feels to me like the kind of game we should keep with our stack of holiday books to pull out and enjoy every December. It's not deeply strategic or fast-paced. Instead, it's simple, combining luck, pattern matching, and just a little bit of prediction. Perfect for younger kids to play with adults, or older kids like Elliot to play on their own. So where are we going to rate this game? I think we're going to give it four and a half puzzles out of five. That's Disney, Mickey's Christmas Carol game, in a snap. Alright, let's talk Room to Grow. So, our goal with Room to Grow is to bring your kids or your non-gaming family members through a series of games that grow in complexity. What we do is we try our best to start with a game that shows a mechanic or a play style simply, and then move up to a game that is a little bit more complex, and then one that is even more complex. This is by no means a complete assessment of whatever the mechanic is, right? This right. is just a place to get started. Usually we will err on the side of more simple, so whatever our air quote most complicated game is, is not the most complicated game we could come up with, yes, for it example. Yes, sh it should still be something family weight and pretty approachable. Right. So let's start this by talking about what we mean by legacy. So a legacy game. A legacy board game is one in which players make permanent changes to the game itself over the course of several play sessions. Pieces might be marked up or covered with stickers and then used again. Components might be permanently trashed or new pieces might be added. 
or all of the above. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, when we're going to talk about how to get a hold of the Family Gamers at the end of the show, I really want to know, for anybody that has played a legacy game, what they do with the components they're supposed to trash. Because I can tell you for sure that I didn't have the heart to throw those things out. I just had a like area in the box or a ba- uh, <laughs> grabbed another bag for the air quote trashed components. Even though I was never going to use them again, they were totally worthless, whatever. It was hard for like, I remember the first time I ripped a card in half in Pandemic Legacy, it was like, my breath caught in my throat, yeah. right? And I still have the ripped up card. But I would love to know from people what they do with their legacy components that they're supposed to be done with. So it's important to note here that we are talking about permanent changes to a game that after a play session, the game is not the same and you cannot reasonably restore it to its earlier state. Yes, there are sometimes kits to like re-sticker stuff. Mm. But this is separate from a resettable campaign game yeah you mentioned to me at the beginning like remember the difference between a legacy game and a campaign game and i kind of looked at you cross-eyed and then as we kind of talked it out i was like you know you've got a really good point there so talk about what a campaign game is as opposed to a legacy game and you know some of the differences and similarities we can draw some of that distinction sure so we already said a legacy game is one where you are permanently changing the components of the game itself and you will not change them back It has become a different game over the course of your play. Which is so cool, but whatever. A campaign game brings you through some kind of a story. Some campaign games are also legacy games. Some campaign games are completely resettable, although once you've reached the end of the campaign, you know, you're done, but maybe you'll pass it on to someone else. Some campaign games have some amount of random aspect generation so you can play them over and over and over again and the story feels a little bit different every time. One example of that would be Under Falling Skies, which I played earlier this year. The campaign for that game is is huge. You only actually play with half the components over the course of playing an entire game of it from start to finish. But even then... You're picking, I think, three aspects each time that you move on to a new chapter. So it's like a city and a special power and a new person. All three of those kind of make your new chapter. And that's not a legacy game because you don't actually change anything as you go along. Nothing is permanently changed in that game at all. And you can easily just shuffle all of those campaign pieces off to the side and play it as if the game was brand new. And... You know, a more kind of traditional campaign style game, which also is not a legacy game, would be something like The Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah, exactly. Or even we talked about the Quest Kids and the Trials of Mm -hmm. Tolk the Wise. You're definitely playing through a story. Things are changing as you play through it, but it's really easy to reset it and go back to the beginning. So that's what a campaign game is. We're not talking about campaign games. We're talking about legacy games where you do change those games. And as, you know, luck would have it, all of our legacy games, as legacy games often are, are campaign games. I will point out, since we mentioned campaign games that aren't legacy games, there are a handful of legacy games that have come to mind that are not campaign games. And the easiest one of those for me is Blank, the card game that was released by Hub Games many years ago now. You know, another one that I don't really think you could consider a campaign game, but definitely a legacy game, would be Prisma Arena. Like, there really isn't a story that you're progressing through from a campaign perspective. I suppose you're leveling up characters, but not for end. There's no end to those means, right? There's not really a campaign, but it definitely is a legacy. You're making mm-hmm. changes to it over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those games do exist, but I, I think that the... Legacy games that aren't campaign games are even more rare than the campaign games that aren't legacy games, yes. <laughs> but the most common is the pairing of the two. Most of the time when we're talking about a legacy game, we're talking about a game that has some kind of a campaign story to it, which is what is driving you forward to make changes and keep playing. So like we said at the beginning of this whole thing, the goal of Room to Grow is to start with something simple. I got to be honest with you, I think we've even referred to this as my first legacy game in our conversations in the past. Our beginner game here, $25 game on, you know, all of the sites and whatever, is Zombie Kids Evolution. Yeah, this is a very 
simple tower defense game, but every time you finish a game, whether you win or lose, you make some progress towards opening the next envelope. You make more progress if you win, Mm -hmm. but you make some progress even if you lose, which means that this game is somewhat forgiving, that you can just, the equivalent of button mashing, really, of just like press yourself up against this game over and over again until you get new things out that might make it a little easier. I mean, this is a game that very loosely has a campaign wrapped around it. Like, it's really just about making your enemies more and more powerful and making your characters more and more powerful. Yes. Like, that's really the goal of the game. There's not a significant amount of stickering on the board really at all, I don't think. It's mostly putting the brains uh, in the book on the back, which allows you to open envelopes when you hit certain thresholds. You do also sticker some of the zombie characters. Oh, that's true. And make true. them You make them more super powerful. Zombies. That's how you make the zombies more powerful, right? Yes. Yep. But unlike some of the other games that we're going to talk about, actually both of our other games, you're not putting any stickers on the board that are going to change the play area all that much, right? So it's really just almost like a video game where just everybody gets progressively more powerful as the game goes yeah, on. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. But it is fantastic. There is also Zombie Teens Evolution, which is similarly priced and has a lot of the same kind of mechanics to it. Our kids absolutely destroyed these two games in the sense that they played them and played them and played them. I mean, I was in shock. They just could not get enough of either one of these. They have loved these games. Normally, when we talk about legacy games, I would warn that when you get to the end of a legacy game, you're done. You can't really play the game anymore. Something that Zombie Kids Evolution and Zombie Teens Evolution, I think, as well, something they do really, really well is you can't really count yourself as having done everything in the game unless you've beaten all of the challenges, which require all kinds of things, like some you can only do with two players, some you can only do with three players, some you have to have four players, some you have to do in this specific way. And so... When it might start feeling a little stale, all of these various campaign options, really, and challenges make it feel fresh again and make you try new things, even outside of, you know, the rest of the legacy part of the game of adding stickers and changing up how other things work. Yeah, I mean, I just think the whole achievement system that I don't even remember what the first game was that I saw it in. I remember seeing it in Calico. I don't know. I mean, I guess Zombie Kids Evolution came out before Calico did, but... This whole achievement concept to generate replayability in these games is absolutely brilliant. And boy, howdy, is it a driver for kids. Again, like these games are $25. I mean, they're almost automatic buys on your Christmas list at that price. And they're going to get a ton of play out of them. So our number one, our most simple game in this legacy game, Room to Grow, is Zombie Kids Evolution. So what would we recommend if you want something a little bit meatier than push the zombies back and lock the doors. Yeah. uh, So the next game on this list is, I mean, I remember when I saw this game at, oh gosh, I think it was Toy Fair 2020, right before, like literally two weeks before the world shut down. So I think I messaged you and I said something to the effect of, so there's this family weight game that is a tile laying game and it's a legacy game and it's by Reiner Kinesia. What do you think? And I think my response was something like, how soon can we play it? (laughs) Right. And that game is My City. So My City is unusual in that it is a legacy game where you are not cooperating and you are also not fighting off some kind of existential threat. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I mean... I don't know. There's a there's a story in there. There there. It's not quite as dramatic. There is a story to My City kind of like you might wrap a story around a you know, any other city building kind of game of like, oh, well, we're moving a little bit through history and now this thing has happened and how is your city going to cope with that? And some of those things are not particularly pleasant. (laughs) Right, right. But again, it's also not a cooperative game. So each player, up to four players, has their own personal board. And that personal board is being changed game after game by the decisions you make and by what place you come in at the end of each game. So the game is like eight chapters, and in each chapter there are three episodes. So each chapter kind of introduces a new primary mechanic, and then you kind of iterate through that three times. 
it's a great, great experience. Every board has a backside so that, you know, if you just don't want to play kind of the legacy version of it, everybody could just kind of play the, you know, generic game with their tiles and whatever. This is one of those games with like kind of simultaneous play. You'll flip out a card and that card will dictate which tile everybody needs to place on their board. Obviously, as it goes on, people are going to make slightly different decisions. And that's how you end up scoring uh, at the end of the round based on those different decisions and the relative success that each player has. And again, this is a full-on legacy game. So depending on how you do, you're going to be putting rocks or forests on your board in the form of stickers or, you know, some other things. And those are going to affect your play area as the game mm-hmm. goes on. So, you know, in this game, three, four, five episodes in, if you're a parent and you keep coming in first place, it's going to force you to put some rocks on your board and you're not going to be able to play in those areas, right? So it's going to make it a little bit harder for you and easier for everybody else. I liked the leveling ability that came into the the legacy aspect of this. However, I wish it had leveled the difficulty between players a little bit faster because it did take until about our fifth or sixth game to really feel like, wow, we as the adults, this is really challenging and the kids are are now actually being competitive. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think this is a game, we haven't played it in a while. I think this is a game that... I'd like to get out again and see if maybe kind of the feeling on this has changed a little bit. Everybody's six months, a year older. I'd like to play through the game. I don't feel like this is a game that we need to keep at the end, so it would probably just go in the trash, but I really am enjoying playing through this whole experience. I just think like at the end, like I'd rather play Baron Park, but you know, I'm really enjoying the legacy aspect of my city, which is our number two for Room to Grow Legacy because it is a great game, very easy to understand, a little bit more complicated than Zombie Kids Evolution. All right, Anitra, it's time for the heavyweight. I mean, relatively heavyweight. Sure, relatively. The serious legacy yes. game. I, I mean, I meant heavyweight in the I'm bringing the uh, you know the big fighter to the table, yeah. not not that yeah. this is a heavyweight game. Sure. The serious legacy game yes. is the one that introduced the two of us to legacy games. That is Pandemic Legacy. I think Pandemic Legacy introduced a lot of people to legacy. So I think the first legacy game that like was really a legacy game was Risk Legacy, which was created by Rob Davio, who is uh, now of Restoration Games. And even Pandemic Legacy, I believe, was a collaboration between Rob Davio and Matt Leacock, who is the originator of Pandemic. Of Pandemic. If you know how to play Pandemic, you can play Pandemic Legacy. If you have not played Pandemic before, it may be a little bit tough to get into playing Pandemic Legacy for the first time. Because even in the first round, there are some additional mechanics from a typical game of Pandemic. Not a lot right away, but it snowballs very, very quickly in subsequent plays. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on how you want to ramp up if this is a game that is kind of in your sights, right? Like, you can just start with picking up a copy of Pandemic, right? Pandemic, I wouldn't say it was the first game to really set the style of how a cooperative game works. Somebody takes a turn, bad stuff happens. Next person takes a turn, bad stuff happens. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But it certainly is probably the most popular game that has really expose that style of cooperative gameplay in this way. So, you know, I mean, it's super popular. I think they're turning it into a TV show and like all this stuff. So the pandemic brand is super popular, super available. So either you can work your way through getting to pandemic legacy by kind of learning how legacy games work by using a room to grow kind of a series or by starting with pandemic. And once you know how to play pandemic and you understand how to play pandemic, then you can step up to pandemic legacy, which is going to be a pretty smooth transition. Yeah, I think that's true. So we talked about the other two games already. Pandemic legacy is hard. It gets hard quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, pandemic legacy is kind of nice to the players in that Uh, It is supposed to be 12 months is how the game is set up. You get two chances at doing every month. And every time you fail the game, uh, you are given a little bit of stuff to make it easier next time. Unfortunately, every time you succeed at the game, some of those nice things are taken away. 
I think that's fine. I mean, I think that's really good because it really figures out where the balance of the game is, right? So if you fail twice, you lose a month. If you fail a third time, you're in danger of losing that second month, but you've got three failures worth of bonuses, yeah. right? And so it, you'll get to the point where you're winning by the skin of your teeth or failing by the skin of your teeth kind of thing. And that's really where you want to be on a legacy game. Pandemic Legacy is unforgiving. Like It is a hard game. It is not a brutally difficult game, but it is a hard game. You really do get the sense that you need to work with your friends. Like, yes. Uh, like, really, truly teamwork. Like It's good to work together in a game like Zombie Kids, but you, you can just kind of feel out what in sync means. In Pandemic Legacy, you need to talk to each other and you need to plan together in a very different way. Well, and working backwards on this again... Failing at a game of Zombie Kids Evolution means you spent eh, 15 minutes. Maybe. And you can immediately get back into it and just go again. Failing at a game of Pandemic Legacy usually means that you invested an hour or more and bad stuff happened that is permanent changes to the board. And sometimes it's demoralizing to be like, well, I guess we should try again then. <laughs> um, I'm not saying this is bad. It just it is a much less forgiving kind of a game. That is part of why we recommend Zombie Kids Evolution as a beginner's legacy game because there's really no downside to losing a game in Zombie Kids Evolution. There is upside to winning, but there is no downside to losing. All right. Well, like we said, there are lots lots of games that fall into these legacy campaign things. I mean, I'm thinking like Charterstone and Gloomhaven and, you know, a ton of Red Raven stuff is mm -hmm. kind of like this as well. There's just so much that's out there. There's so many options. I mean, if you're the type of person that buys an exit box and photocopies everything because you can't bear to rip it up or cut it apart or whatever, yeah, then, like... Then don't do a legacy game. Yeah, legacy games might not be for you. Take a look at some of those campaign games that don't involve damaging your components. But for me and for my money, the amount of worth I'm getting out of a 25 50 even $60 game, the amount of game plays that I'm getting out of it is really still better than just about any other form of entertainment and so it doesn't really bother me all that much. But I am sure that you've got an opinion on legacy games. If you've ever played one before, if you've looked at them and said, why would you spend 60 bucks on a game and then rip it up over the course of 20 plays or whatever? There's lots of different ways that you can have a friendly and productive <laughs> conversation <laughs> yes. about these kinds of things. You could email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Or you could have a more public discussion with us on social media. Well, it doesn't have to be with us. It can just be with, you know, anybody who follows us on social media. I suppose that's true. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube at Family Gamers AA. Head over to that community that we mentioned before. Go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or go to Facebook and search for the Family Gamers community. Of course, I also have links in the show notes for all of these things. It is the gift giving season we highly recommend giving Family Gamers merch as gifts. Yes, we do. The best place to go to get your t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and more is thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcast or wherever it is you subscribe. I will share a quick anecdote. I accidentally opened iTunes on my computer the other day. I'm sorry. I was not happy about it. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? This is a sign. It is time for me to go leave positive reviews for some of my favorite podcasts. So I did. So you should do that too, everybody out there. Hopefully we're one of your favorite podcasts. Anyway, how about this? If you reach out to us on social media and you ask about next week's contest... I will give you some advanced information about what we're giving away. Ooh. What do you think of that? Nice. By the way, we're going to announce a contest next week. <laughs> That's awesome. We've got some great stuff that we're going to be giving away courtesy of a number of publishers. It's not like a 12 Days of Christmas thing. We just have you know a, a couple of things, but uh, it is the giving season. We would like to give some stuff away. We're going to announce that next week, but if you want a little bit of advanced notice, you can tweet at us Ask. or email us or... Just ask. Ask, ask us. We're, it's not that big of a secret, but there's got to be a carrot somewhere, right? Ask. <laughs> the Family Gamers podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Yep. I'm going to play the legacy game of try to survive while mom is gone. 
I mean, hopefully that's not a legacy game and I don't come home to permanent changes in the house. I already have one permanent change planned. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, indeed. Uh-oh. Well, I'm sure you'll hear all about that next week. So until then, everybody, play, play games, games with, with your, your kids. kids.